Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Today we're going to be in John chapter 21. John's one of the, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John is one of the books that primarily just tells the story of Jesus. It's a great, if you're new to the Bible, the book of John is a great place to start. Just read about the life of Jesus. You can just read it like a book. Uh, so you can, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 21. You can use your device if you'd like to look it up that way. Pretty simple introductory thought today. Not sure it's a great one, but when was the last time you experienced some food that had gone bad? A couple, it's with, within the last month, uh, opened the fridge. I think I had just been out trying to exercise, and so I thought, oh man, I need some milk. And so we had, usually we have gallons of milk, but we had a half gallon of milk, and uh, it was to the point where, I'm sorry, I'm going to confess, I, I, I was just, I'm going to drink it right out of the jug. Do we have any, you know, you, you, you don't have to confess it. Yeah, already. But, you know, so it was like down a little ways, and I thought, I can chug this. Let's just grab it like the man I am. And whoa. I didn't have to chew. But I wish I hadn't swallowed. Are you with me? Um, I actually got on a website, looked a little bit at uh, the top 20 foods that spoil the fastest. Come up on the screen, berries, bananas, tomatoes, peaches, potatoes, avocados. So the avocado thought took me to the idea of guacamole. So I looked up a little bit about guacamole. Homemade guacamole also usually lasts one to two days. <laughs> You'll know it's gone bad when it has a substantial puddle of brown liquid. Just to fill in the blank, it's substantial. Just so you know, might not want to eat that. Uh, and... Uh, Really, the, the, one of the thoughts I'm trying to bring up is uh, how many things around us in life, they really don't last that long. Even things beyond food, you know, you get a, a new pair of jeans and you think, yes, I find they actually fit, but they won't last near as long as you want them to last. It won't be long before or uh, does that make sense? There's so many things. And not just material possessions, but relational things. I don't think anybody stands before God and commits in a covenant of marriage and is thinking in their mind, well, this won't last long. That's not what they think. But there is a tendency in creation right now, you may not have thought through this, things have a tendency, more of a tendency to fall apart than to stay together, to, de de to deteriorate. Um, some of you might not know this, but the Bible teaches that. In Matthew 6, 19, it says, don't store up treasures on earth, on earth where moths eat them and, and rust destroys 
things. In Romans 8.20, now you'll have to dig into this a little more to get it. It's not one of those obvious Bible verse principles, but it's talking about creation, and it says creation was subjected to frustration, and it says the creation itself, what God has created, because of sin, all right, it will be liberated someday when Jesus returns and creates a new heaven and a new earth and everything's going to be great. There's going to be no sin. The decay, but right now, it, it's in, it is in bondage to decay. The natural situation of so many things around of us is if we're not really intentional, you know what's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to fall apart. Most of us have experienced it if we have not thought through it. Young people, you might be in a season of dating. Or, and how, if you're in that season, how many times did you meet that, that person and you thought for sure, oh, he's the one for three weeks? And then you're like, that is so decayed. I'm not too, or whatever. But you think this will be forever and this will be forever. This is so... All right, then the other idea that I really ultimately want to land on is all that reality points to the rare beauty of something that really, really, really lasts because it's exceptional. And we're in this Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas, and we are being driven by a Bible verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 that describes Jesus as he will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and one of the characteristics is an everlasting Father. An everlasting Father. In Hebrews 13, it says of God, well, first it says, keep your lives free from the love of money, be content with what you have, because God has said, here's, some, here's an everlasting father statement, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He's an everlasting father. So what does that look like practically? We're going to look at an account in John 21 where uh, Jesus, I think, Basically, we're going to explore a couple characteristics of Jesus that are connected to this everlasting Father idea. The context of the verse is Jesus has come to the earth. He has lived a sinless life. He has done three years of ministry. At the end of the three years of ministry, uh, they crucified him. He's in the grave for three days. He's risen from the grave. And I would think that at the end of all that, he would just, boom, go back up to heaven. Right? He would, he, because actually on the cross, did you know he said this? He said, it's finished. I paid the price for the sin of humanity. It's finished. And so I think I would go, and this world is not as good as heaven. I'm out of here. But he doesn't. What he does is he, con he connects to the disciples, the people that he established this relationship. Now, most of the time, they didn't call him father. He was master or Lord. But he established this relationship, and he keeps connecting with them. And this is one of the accounts where Jesus is the resurrected body. He just is showing up and proving to the disciples that he's alive and connecting with them again. 
So it's just days after the resurrection. John 21, verse 1. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. So don't, we're not going to rush through this story. Just picture it if you can. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Let me sum up a few verses. At Jesus' direction, they end up with this miraculous catch of fish, so many that the nets were like stretched. And at that point with this, you know, phenomenal, probably the greatest catch of fish ever, one of them realizes that's Jesus. It was Jesus who said, put the net over here. So that must be the Lord. And then Peter realizes that's the Lord. So Peter, so excited to see Jesus, he jumps off the boat, decides to swim the shore because the boat's not fast enough. And then the boat follows along. All right, bouncing to verse 9, it says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with a fish with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, there might not be a super easy connection from this verse to the everlasting father idea, but I see two things, two characteristics of Jesus that I think connect, and uh, I want to share them with you. Um, before I pray, a couple groups of people that are listening. One, the stuff that we're going to talk about, you probably heard it before, but it's really important reminder. They're good, important reminders. There could be some of you who are just exploring God or Jesus or the whole church thing, this stuff is super important if you, want to know who God, if you want to know who God is. And so I think it'll be applicable. I'll try hard. Let's pause and pray. Father, I'll try hard, but mostly we need you, Lord, to talk to us. Open our eyes to the reality of who you are. I, and I just pause, God. I thank you that you are in a world that uh, leans and tends to decay and fall apart. You are an everlasting Father. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Two characteristics of Jesus, the everlasting Father. The first thing I want to explore is Jesus, the everlasting Father, consistently shows up. And after you write in shows up, go back and just circle consistently. 
consistently shows up. In our text, when I was reading this, I couldn't get past, it says, Jesus appeared, everybody say it, again. He appeared again to the disciples. If you go back to the chapter before this, he had been appearing to them. So in the chapter before, if you read it, he appears to Mary after the resurrection. It says she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Then a few verses later, uh, a couple days later, the disciples are together in a house. They actually, I think it says they'd locked themselves in there. They don't know what to do. They're afraid because Jesus is now, they think, is gone or something and all that. But it says Jesus came and stood among them. That'd be frightening a little bit, but neat. A week after that, the same group of disciples, basically, they're in the same house, and he shows up again. Now, that time, he shows up again primarily because one of the disciples the week before wasn't there. We don't know what he was doing. His name is Thomas, and he just wasn't with the other disciples. And so Jesus shows up again, and he kind of appears basically right to Thomas. He just shows up again. Here I am again. And I think it's worth noting in all of these examples, and primarily all of these examples, that Jesus did not, hear this, hear this. Jesus did not show up during the times when they were being super spiritual. In fact, in our text today, you could argue they're not being very spiritual at all. I think you might argue, I'm not even sure they're in God's will. When Peter says, I'm going fishing, so those of you that, that don't know this, when Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, one of the first things he said to him was, basically, I'm going to transform you. You're not going to be a fisher of fishes. I'm going to make you a fisherman of men thing, right? So I think, this is just me, could be wrong. I think Peter's like, I don't know what to do. Jesus is gone, rose, raised from the dead. He said, well, I don't know. What are you going to do? I'm just going to go fishing. This is not one of Peter's wonderful spiritual moments seeking the heart of God. I think he's just going back to what he knows. What do I, what do, I do? It's a Tuesday. I guess I'll just go fishing. And the other disciples just go, yeah, us too. So this is not a super spiritual Side note, those of you who skip church to go fishing because it's a super spiritual experience for you. Oh, by, oh you're not here. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> Forget that. Sorry. Just, uh, just popped into my mind. I should probably talk to the golfers too, but yeah, they might be here because it's winter. You know, oh, golf is an ex it's a spiritual experience for me. I'm out. Forget that. I really shouldn't have brought that whole last minute up. Where am I? Oh, Jesus shows up just during not super spiritual times, right? So here's the idea. Write it down. In the midst of just regular life, they're not doing anything spiritually super impressive. They're just fishing. In the midst of just regular life, Jesus often shows up. Count on it, folks. Most of you, many of you have experienced this. Just this last Tuesday, I, my wife and I and... One of my kids went to, it's called Majestic Noel. It's a sh it was a show over in Shipshawana that we found out about. Here's some pictures. So we took this little selfie thing in front of the marquee thing. So it's somewhere between a, 
a, a, a circus and a horse show and a Christmas cantata or thing. Does that make sense? So I took the picture on the bottom right there. They had pigs. It's pigs in the show. And then there's this dude riding the two horses over there, some singing stuff. So you kind of get a feel for it. It's in a big, it's called the MEC, M-E-C. It's a, the Michiana Events Center. Any of you ever been over to Shipshawana, or at least you're aware of Ship? No? It's a place, not too far from here. I need a clear raising of hands. Did you, anybody? Okay, so I thought, because I thought, you guys haven't heard it. It's not that far. So those of you that, that may not know or don't visit their regular, the population there, so many of them are Amish. So this is a side note. That's, this is just an interesting thing. Amish, because 80, 90% of the people at this show were Amish. That's a tough crowd. I'm just saying. I don't mean any disrespect. That was a tough crowd. At one point, one of the show guys, he was like the, 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 the circus dude you know with it coming out. And he's like doing all this. And he said, I think he was a little bit wondering whether the crowd was going to get into it. And so I, he didn't say this exactly, but it was something like he looked to our side of the uh, the auditorium, the stage thing, and he said, come on, Chipshawana, make some noise. And I looked over there, like, there are like a hundred Amish over here going. And there was one went. We were cracking up. I'm like, dude, you just go on, because they're not, probably not going to be, it's not going to get too crazy here what I was thinking. One other side note, you might have to think about this, but during the intermission, they offered uh, buggy rides throughout the t- for 10 bucks. Buggy rides. I don't think they made any money on the buggy ride. You might want to think through that plan in Shipshawana. Okay. That didn't have anything to do with God or the Bible. Um, okay, but while we're there with the show and the thing and the lights and this circusy kind of thing, we're, we're sitting there and they pause and they go into the, to the nativity story and a person begins to share the reality, the real story of Christmas. And then they start talking about God sent his son into the earth to take the form of a baby who was born, and they had this living nativity thing. And I'm sitting there, and you know what happened? God showed up in my heart. I began to tear up and have just an over, almost overwhelming sense of, God, you are amazing. I cannot believe that you would send Jesus into this world. Does that make sense? I was, and just a, a little side detail, I was chewing on a combo while they were telling the Christmas story. We snuck a bag in. I'm like, and, and, it, and I'm, and during, while I'm doing that, all of a sudden, I tell you, it was, God just showed up in the midst of regular life. It's worth noting, I think, that oftentimes when God shows up, He is more kind than we deserve. In the text, 
Jesus calls out to the disciples. They're not being super spiritual. By the way, most of them were part of the group that denied Jesus, right, when he went through the cross and the crucifixion. And the first word out of his mouth is, friends. He could have called them something else. Knuckleheads. What did I talk to you about? Fishing for men. And now you're going back, right? But he didn't. He calls out and he says, friends. He is such a kind, everlasting father. Here's a thought to ponder in your own life. And I think for most of us, you, God has shown up in our life. How many times has God showed up when he could have easily been fed up? Think about that. But he doesn't show up and call you knucklehead or idiot most of the time. He doesn't. He comes and he says, hey, friend, or he calls you by name, or he says, hey, son, hey, daughter. I want to give you a little theological point to think about. Uh, Some of you will like this. In the New Testament, after someone becomes a follower of Jesus, a disciple, you're born again, you say, Jesus Christ, I need you as my Savior and Lord. Did you know that in Scripture, almost never does Scripture describe or call someone who is Jesus as their Savior a sinner again? They don't. Did you know that? You read the entire New Testament, almost never do they refer to a child of God as a sinner. There's a couple times where Paul says, I am the I am." Uh, a sinner, but God calls his children, son, daughter, disciple. He calls us the church. He doesn't, and it, it points to not the amazingness of us, because how many of you know we still struggle with sin, even if you're a follower of Jesus, but it points to, the, to the, the transformational power of Jesus Christ, because God looks at you, and he looks at you and says, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's the person I love, because Christ's blood has washed us clean in his perspective. Are you getting that? This is really an amazing miracle of the everlasting father because he looks at you and thinks you're good. Is that crazy? No, some of you are not getting this. That is crazy. Now, I don't know your stuff, but he looks at you and 98% of the time, he just looks at you and you're washed and you're clean. He just thinks you're awesome. You and me. That's even a bigger deal. Like, what? He's amazing. And he says, hey, friend. Oftentimes, even if he's correcting us, he says, son, he said, calls you by name. A couple things to finish up this point. Am I acknowledging my father's faithfulness? This is connected to just showing up. He showed up in your life 10 times. 15 times, 50 times, 150 times. When's the last time you said, thank you, Father, for showing up in my life, even when I wasn't doing spiritual things? And one little side note, I think I'm supposed to say, I don't interject these uh, all the time in a talk, but when I was doing final prep for this yesterday afternoon, I felt like God wanted me to say this, uh, to to. some of us. Because when we talk about God showing up, 
you are consistently frustrated because he doesn't show up in your life more. And here's what I think I'm supposed to say. Quit griping. Quit griping. Because he showed up three times or 30 times, and you weren't grateful when he did that. You just keep wanting more, 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 more. And, one of, and does that make sense? So if it applies to you, I'm, I'm trying not to be a jerk about this, but I felt like he was saying, you need to quit, just quit griping. If we're more grateful for when he does show up, maybe that'll open a door to an increased amount of presence with God. Well, that was a fun Christmas thought. Quit griping. But I think that's an interesting thought. Okay, the second idea is, am I responding to his visits? When he shows up this afternoon or this next week, just pause. Don't just keep chewing on your combo. Stop and go, wow, thank you so much, Lord. All right, so that was the first point, right? He consistently shows up. Second idea is he persistently involves us. He involves us. Let me put a picture in your mind of what we're going to talk about for the last few minutes. I've got an acquaintance, maybe, I don't know, maybe a friend, who uh, runs a small engine shop. His name's Lee. He runs Lee's Small Engines. And so every so often, my lawnmower will break or whatever, and I will go to Lee's Small Engines. It's a pretty small shop out on this... Out, kind of out in the country. And I've been going there for five, six years, and I've watched Lee's little boy since he was just little. And my first memories of him, Lee would be working in the shop, and his son would be next to him, even when he was just first beginning to walk around, and his son would just be with him in, at the shop, just following him around. And the last time I was there, because now his boy's four or five or six or something like that, I took these couple gallons of waste oil. They use it for their furnace or whatever. And I dropped it off at Lee's. And the little boy, who I don't think has ever said anything to me, he's really shy and quiet. But he's there. He's right by his father. Here's the idea. He's right by his father doing his father's business. He's just like part of the thing. And so I set down the gallons of waste oil and and he he looked at me. And he took them back to wherever they put that stuff. But the idea of this, this dad, his son is just always there participating in the work of what his dad does. And I don't know if you can imagine that easily. Maybe that's not your experience with your father if you had a father. That's not. I had some of that with my dad, but nothing like what I just imagine. But it's important for us to know with our heavenly father, God is a God who involves his kids in the family business. Now, for some of us, that might be a stretch, but that is who God is. In our text, in verse 10, he said, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now, is that because Jesus can't create enough fish for the fire without him? No, it's a principle. And he says, you bring what you bring to the table for the breakfast thing. You can write this in. Jesus didn't just invite them to breakfast. He expected them to contribute. That's good. I hope 
that this will stick with us. There are a lot of reasons I'm grateful for Jesus Christ when he opened my eyes to the gospel when I was 20 years old. A lot of reasons. But I don't think it's a stretch to say the the most of the time, the greatest reason I am grateful that I've met Christ is because he invited me into a purpose-filled life that has something to do with the eternity. I am glad. And this does not have to do with being on staff at a church or I've got the pastor title. I was grateful for this before I ever started doing church work because God pulled me out of stuff that was just temporary, was going to decay, was never going to have any eternal value and said, let's get to work at stuff that will last forever. I'm really glad, you're not, but I'm really glad about this point because life gets so stuck in junk that has almost no eternal value. And God, even though he could, he could fix it all and change it all just by going, and like, right, because he has the power to do that. But he never, I'm going to argue, never does it. He always says, hey, hi, son, daughter, what are you bringing to the table? We're going to do this together. Oh, gosh. In almost every miraculous moment in the Bible, there's also human participation. When Jesus healed a man who had a uh, a crippled hand, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. See, that's a thing. If he doesn't stretch it out, he... um, He makes another guy who's blind. He says, he puts mud on his eyes. What's he thinking? He puts mud on it. And he says, now you go to this specific fountain and wash it off. If that guy doesn't go to the fountain and wash it off, then the power of God doesn't show up. In Old Testament, countless times, here's just one. God is going to give, and he says, I'm going to give my people the promised land. And he says to one of his leaders, to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho, which was a city, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, by the way, it's past tense. Like, I've given you that city. It's yours, almost. But here's what you have to do. you got to march around the city for the next seven days. Who gets the credit for doing almost all the work? God. When we get to heaven, it's all. But we have the significant part If you read beyond our primary story of today into the next story in John chapter 21, it's Jesus interacting with Peter. And and he says to Peter, who's been kind of a, I was going to say kind of a screw up the last several days because he denied Jesus three times. Can I say screw up in church? I just did. Screw up. He says, and so after this, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. What's he say every time? He says it to him three times, and he says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. He basically says, get back to work. And don't, Peter, don't, don't start fishing for fish. I, yes, you screwed up, but get back into the eternal things that I have called you to. Now, before we do the last fill in the blank, Uh, a couple thoughts. First of all, 
if you're a follower of Jesus that somehow is now sitting on the sidelines. You did something stupid or sinful, and maybe somebody told you, you can't, you can't lead a Bible study anymore, or you can't do that because you got a divorce, or you did that, or you blah, 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 your hair's falling out, so you're done, or whatever. You know how sometimes we, I'm going to get really angry here in a moment probably thinking about this. We as people oftentimes are more critical and throw people off the bus. We throw people off the bus quicker than God would throw them off the bus. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus was like right over there, and Peter was right here and saying, I don't even know him. I never even heard of him. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's what he just did like 10 days before. And Jesus is saying, Peter, get back in the game. If you're on the sidelines and you've been there for three weeks or three years or 30 years, today is a day. Get back in the game. Man. Yeah, I'm trying really hard here. That is true. God, God is an everlasting... We're not even leaving today. I'm just going to keep talking the whole time. God is an everlasting Father who is better to us than any human being has ever been to us. He has more hope for us. He has more plans for us than anybody else. And we, a lot of us, have like some good people around us. He's amazing. If you don't know him, you should really should get to know him. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Oh, if you're a new follower of Jesus or you're just exploring God, it's important for you to know as you count the cost, if you decide you're going to follow Jesus, part of the deal is getting involved in the family business. And he will use your gifts and your skills and, and he'll say, I want to use you. And it's, and it's the best thing ever. I don't know that it's the easiest thing ever, but it's the best thing ever. Last fill in the blank. Our everlasting Father always includes a call to service. Yeah. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.